Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Lend Us Your Ears. We were very excited to chat to debut novelist Phoebe Wynne about her book Madam. This conversation took place on the 5th of July. As an opening question, we asked Phoebe what inspired her to write Madam. For me and for many writers, I think loads of things happen. I'm a, uh, I was a classics teacher and I left teaching and I gave myself a year to see if I could write. And I went to writing class in Los Angeles and then in London afterwards, just by chance, I happened to be with my, on, with my family on a film project in Los Angeles. And I kept, as, in my writing classes, I just kept coming back to my classroom and I thought, well, this is strange, you know something had to come out, you know? It was funny because the, the Americans were really encouraging about the, the classroom stuff. They were like, she teaches Latin, oh my God, you know, that's like, it's on a cliff. And, and it, it was born from that really, but, but I have to admit that, well, you'll know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm okay at talking without spoilers now, but I know it's hard, but I saw the ending before anything else, very cinematically in my head. And I thought, wow, okay. So, um, because, I'm, because I'm a classicist, I love Greek tragedy and um, I love Gothic novels. And I thought, well, hey, hang on, can I play with the setting here? Can I play with this innocent female against the male enemy, you know, the overbearing enemy and the defeat of the enemy? And, and I saw, you know, the, the Greek tragedy, you know, I'm talking like Oedipus, you know, um, stabbing his eyes out. Obviously, that doesn't happen in Madame, but um, it all kind of pieced itself together very slowly as I was doing all this learning. Um, but it, it just spilled out very, very quickly, really. But, but I did see the ending in my second novel, too. I saw the ending first and I thought, how do I get... It's very interesting, how do you get to theirs? It was really fun. Well, not fun, hard, tough, but in creatively, it was, it was really, really wonderful because I think, you know, they, they do say write what you know, and I know there are amazing authors out there that I, and I really salute them, the ones that are, you know, can create worlds and stories, but I have to write things that I know. And so that's why it was, it came, it came really organically in that way. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, it's really interesting when you're talking about, um, sort of certain inspirations for the for the book like gothic literature and like uh, greek tragedy yeah. something that tom and i were both saying as we were talking about the book was so tom said that it reminded him of the secret history by donna tart yeah lovely brilliant both said halfway through um that it's it's got very handmaid's tale vibes to it yes um, and i suppose what what i'd like to know is um did you have any kind of specific books or novels or stories that that kind of fed into the novel? What, any that you kind of had in your mind while you were writing it? I mean, like, were, were The Handmaid's Tale and The Secret History, were they conscious influences or are they just things that Tom and I have? No, I, I, think, I think that's really fascinating. And um, because I'm, you know, Shakespeare has borrowed so much from Greek tragedy. I really believe that we just, in a way, not regurgitate, but we do borrow huge, mm. huge amounts. And I'm happy with that. Rebecca, I'd say was probably my main influence. And I love Daphne du Maurier. I think she's amazing because she's like the melodrama and I love my cousin, Rachel. But certainly I'm a big, a huge fan of The Secret History. And I love The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, I, I really like the TV series as well, which made me go back to the book. But, but I mean, yes, it all comes from, because that's an energy, if you like. And, and I was writing I was in Los Angeles when the Me Too movement was happening, and that was also its own influence too. And for example, I read Mary Beard's Woman in Power. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but she was talking about, you know, Greek women and Roman women. And I was like, hang on, you know, there's something in here. So I think there's, but then I'm also a huge fan of film and I love Dead Poet Society where you have a teacher that teaches and then gets fired for changing people's minds. And things like Mona Lisa's smile, I, it, my influences come from, it's just like picking out little pieces and then creating something 
that I can that is true for me if that makes sense and I think that's definitely a fair comparison but I I did want to write something modern even though it's the 90s that was from the teacher's perspective because you very rarely read books from teachers' perspectives, like books with lessons in them. Because I, while I love The Secret History, there's actually very little lesson content in there. <laughs> and so it was quite, it was really fun. And I was really glad that my publishers let me get away with it, have, to have so many lessons in there. And yeah, I really enjoyed that. And so, so yes, I, I definitely agree that there's all sorts of unconscious and conscious influences coming through there, yeah. And just to kind of feed on from what you were saying um, about wanting to write a story set in the 90s from the perspective of a teacher, why the 90s? Oh, yeah. So the 90s is really interesting, in my opinion, because I didn't want, which I think a lot of people are aware, a lot of people ask me this about the social media thing, which is definitely true before social media. But also I was a child in the 90s. And um, although I identify with Rose, I also identify with the girls in Madam. And for me, it was a really interesting moment in terms of feminism, because there was a lag between you had the second wave of feminism in the 70s, which did really well. And then there was a sort of third wave later on with the with the Spice Girls and things like that. And um, you think there was a little gap where a lot of people thought everything was done, that we had our rights. And I wanted to play with that a bit. It was like a lag. For me, it's like a lag in time where things people thought things were better, but they weren't. And Margaret Thatcher, obviously, which uh, I allude to in the novel, was something quite interesting to use. And then also the divorce of Diana and Charles. I, 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 I played with that in the novel as well. So it just, it just and also, um, if you notice, there's a great deal of film references and they were all things like um, Science of the Lambs and Thelma and Louise. They were all coming out at that time. So I thought, what a great time to set the novel. But I wanted it also to be at a time when I was alive so that I knew, I remember Margaret Thatcher, you know, so things like that. Yeah, it does feel um, very, very real when you're in it. And that's when you're reading it, that's both fascinating, but also there's something a little uncomfortable about it as well in that I remember when I was reading it I felt almost trapped in this novel at times because of the setting that you've created is so sort of all-encompassing and so it, everything is just closing in on her and I really felt that kind of atmosphere as I was reading it as well and I wonder if part of that is because you've set it so in that world of you know it was so set in the 90s it yeah. Absolutely. And it's set on a, listen, it's on a peninsula uh, that's supposed to be its own piece of England in Scotland, you know, after Gates. So, uh, you know, I was really kind of uh, using as much as I could to to create that very gothic, isolated atmosphere. Um, mm. so I'm sorry, but I'm, I am, I was intentional. <laughs> no, no, it was, it was completely right for, for the book. And um, I think the word I used um, when I was speaking to Tom about it, I was about halfway through. And I said to Tom, there's something suffocating about it which is exactly I think how it should be and it felt very yeah Rose is so trapped in this situation and it feels so hopeless and it that felt like a very kind of almost like a feminist statement in a way while I was reading it that actually yeah. you can't just as a woman you can't just put that down for a day and just move on with your life you are kind yeah. of into that and um yeah it was just something that I thought was, was really fascinating um while yeah I was you couldn't just reach out to someone you had to venture down into a small town and find a phone booth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it, it's, so it's, it's interesting you say that because I do think I've, I went to a boarding school and I taught in a boarding, many, a couple of boarding schools actually. I, I, that is certainly true for them as well. I'm not entirely sure whether I agree with them even. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the cultures that, that people get away with, I was really, really keen on. And there's certainly a lot in the novel that even though it seems shocking, 
there are a lot of people that have read it and have said to me, hang on, my school was like that. I think that is another, that's a very English thing, isn't it? Rather than a British thing. I think it's quite an English thing. So I wanted to, it was all of that. I wanted to um, put, put in the novel there, which is another reason why I think, and it was easy to do that when I was writing it from Los Angeles, from that distance. When you're in it, you don't, you don't recognize it. So it's funny. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, how much of your experience as a teacher did you kind of bring into the writing of the novel? I mean, I hope, I hope none of the things that happened in the novel really happened <laughs> in any of the schools that you worked in. But did you kind of draw from any real life experiences at all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think so. The Coldenbury Hall does not exist. That system does not exist. Um, <laughs> I'll just ease your mind there. I mean, it may do, but I don't know about it. But um, I, I, it's inescapable. I mean, yes, Rose is definitely a version of myself. Um, she's 26 though, and I'm 35, so she's like a pre-therapy version of myself. <laughs> um, so, and some of those lessons are lessons that I've taught, and there have been tricky, tricky classes um, that you can't escape, but. But the, the, my favourite parts of the novel are the, the, the Rose's moments with the three girls, um, with Daisy, Nessa and Freddie. And those, although Daisy, Nessa and Freddie aren't, aren't real people that I have met so many girls and, and young boys too, like them. And that really comforting um, relationship between mentor, young person, I really wanted to convey. So a lot of that comes from something really true, which which I really like. I really liked writing those bits. That, it felt really important to have those characters as well um, yeah. while reading the novel, because they're a, they're a real stark contrast to all the other characters who are so set in this is the way things are and Rose is in the wrong and, and actually having those girls who kind of question things, they felt like very important, important characters to have. Absolutely. And, I, and it was fun as well to make them year 10. So they're fourth. So they're like 14, 15. And it was fun that they weren't, I really enjoyed it. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but they did then I never once described as beautiful. Um, mm. They're still trying to find their identity, whereas the sixth form was almost too far gone. <laughs> that was really interesting because like they're sort of sold to the patriarchy, if you like. Mm. Um, already and then the other all the females in the novel are all the teachers, you know, it's they, the, the female, they're, they're the ones that uphold the patriarchy too, you know, it's not a a male dominated problem always but so so it's um that it was important for me to have those those young girls in there because I think I think young people are amazing and I actually miss it I haven't been teaching now for three years and I, I really miss it and who knows what will happen whether I'll go back to it or not but I'm not sure any school would have me there now that I've written Madden but, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I, I do think young young people and I think they don't actually necessarily change you know I think young women are still in danger, you know, with, you know, with things like, well, stereotyping and um, the male gaze and things like that. So I'm, I have a huge yeah. soft spot for, um, for, for that sort of, that sort of thing. Yeah. And thinking about kind of um, girls or teenagers who are in that sort of age group, what were you reading when you were the age of the girls, sort of Nessa and Freddie, those, those 14, 15 year old girls, what were you reading at the time? Oh, what a great <laughs> question. I am, um, so if I'm, if I'm any of those three, I wish I was Freddie because she's really cool and feisty, mm -hmm. but I was more like Daisy, super geek. I was reading, I read everything. So one of my young favorites was um, Agatha Christie, big fan. <laughs> um, I also, you know, loved all the Judy Bloom when I was little, but no, um, at their age, I was reading everything from Harry Potter to things like Isabel Allende, The House of the Spirits. I loved that. Uh, my dad was a great brain, so he would always thrust things in front of me like, Sylvia Plath, The Bell Jar, and like The Catcher in the Rye, and reading those sorts of things. I very much escaped uh, in my brain. There was a 
a big fan of, of literature, all kinds of literature. Um, and my friends was, were reading Jilly Cooper, so I tried one, some one of those, you know. But I was I was a big, big reader. I always have been. I've always I always wanted to be always wanted to be a writer, but it, it took me a long time to work out what I actually wanted to say. But um, that's a great question about reading, and yeah, important, isn't it? I think we've had uh, a couple of questions from the audience, so I'm just going to pass over to Tom. We have had one in from Aisha. It says, as a Rebecca fan, how did you feel about the Netflix adaptation? What do you think makes a great book adaptation and would be important for you to adapting Madam into film or TV? Well, great question. I hate to admit it, I wasn't a fan of the Netflix version of Rebecca. I was hugely disappointed. And I personally think the problem was that they, they took away the, the dominant male, like Army Hammer's character should have been, Max then should have been much more aggressive. And therefore it made the Lily James character. It was, it was really disappointing. And I could see what was wrong with it. So I was like, Ugh. And it was funny because I have a family who don't read books and my siblings don't read books. So I'm always going on about Rebecca and they watched the Netflix version and they were like, well, what's so big about it? And I was like, oh, never mind. But I thought the setting was lovely. But um, yeah, and in terms of um, adaptation, it's a tricky one. I think, I think there are some really good versions out there of things, but I, I will always say read the book, read the book, because you've got the book and then you, the book is just behind, even Harry Potter, you know, I enjoy the Harry Potter films, but the, the books have so much more to them and I think if when you're talking adaptations I feel like what people what would work best is if you take someone who's really artistic or stylized and makes it their own version um with Madam I think if it ever was adapted I think it would be really hard because of the lesson and so much is going on in Rose's head but I do think it could be quite cinematic I definitely think the setting could look great I think the ending will look amazing on camera <laughs> so I, I hesitate um, but I would definitely, I agree with you, Aisha, I would definitely want to be like heavily, heavily involved <laughs> if it did ever come to that. Because it does feel a little bit like it's my child or something, a part of me. Um, and also because of the, because I know the boarding school thing so well, I'd want to make sure that they did get it right and, and things like that. And um, yeah, it's a really, really good question. But I, am, I, I will always prefer the book to an adaptation, but there have been some. I can't think of any right now that I have thought well, that was a good version of that. But unfortunately, no, I, I didn't love the Netflix series. Would you have any thoughts on casting, madam? I only have, well, the thing is, because there's so many young girls in it, you'd have to get some fresh faces. Um, but I do, in my head, I'm, uh, I, I, I see Daisy Ridley. Do you know it from Star Wars? Yeah, that could yeah. totally yeah. She's a very good um, at being vulnerable and strong at the same time and upset and, you know, courageous. Um, I, I can see that in my head, yeah, <laughs> if I'm allowed to say that. So Claire asks, could you tell us about your path to getting published? Oh yeah, absolutely. It might interest you to know that Madam is technically my third novel. In my 20s, I, I wrote two terrible novels, which I thought were great, you know, and I kept sending them out and they kept being rejected mercilessly. Um, and then I thought, no, hang on, I really want to try this and I need to learn how to write. It was one of my sisters as a screenwriter and she was like, learn learn story learn and I was like I don't know what you mean I teach literature I teach ancient literature I've taught modern literature I can I know how stories work she was like learn so I dedicated myself to a year I gave I gave myself a year I put all my stuff in storage I, I quit my job and um I did writing classes and and they really helped they really worked I found my voice I understood about plot and structure and characterization and dialogue and things like that and and then Madam, as I said, sort of came out very quickly. And then by the end of that year, I uh, started a little job with a tea company to keep me going. Um, but then by that, by September, 
because if you think about school years, sorry, my, the beginning of my year was the July. So then by the following September, I sent a, a first draft to, I had a cut. Well, this is interesting, actually. Is it okay if I go off on a tangent here? Absolutely. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Uh, I went, I, 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 because because I had two failed uh, attempts at, at novels, I thought, right, I need to do the agent thing properly here. So I, I, I went to a couple of seminars in London, how to find an agent, um, because I'm from Sussex, so I run the Brighton area, Lewis, and they, uh, a lot of, a lot of the seminars were really depressing. And they were like, oh, there's not a lot of room for gothic novel, really. And, um, uh, you know, it doesn't have, Madam doesn't have a happy ending. It's got a catastrophic ending. So they were like, oh, there's a trend for uplit because I think Eleanor Oliphant had done really, really well previously, which I loved, by the way. So I was actually really disheartened. Um, <laughs> so what I did was um, to fight back that, to counteract that, I, I made a list of my top dream agents and I thought I'll approach them one at a time. And I contacted my, you know, what happened was I followed them on, on Twitter and then my agent, her name is Nell Andrew, she wrote a tweet saying she was looking for female driven dark narrative and I thought oh great I'll just jump on this um, and then I, I, I looked at a couple of interviews she'd done online and she talked about the secret history so I was like oh okay so I tried and I know I, I know how lucky I was I wrote to her I sent her the first 25 pages and the synopsis and you know within a day she was like can you send me the rest and then the next week I was at her office and she loved it so I, I know how lucky I was because it was my because of the previous two I know how it usually is so I was extremely lucky with Nell and she loved it um, and then we um, she gave me some ideas about rejigging it while I was working which took me a long time and then that was around October so then um, we sent it out about eight months later and then um, I got the American deal first and then the UK deal came in so I, I can't tell you how fortunate and excited. I was just over the moon. That's the, the one thing I wanted in my life. And yeah. And then, you know, to, to the, my schools were sort of saying, you're coming back. And I was like, actually, just another year. Just give me another year. Let me just try this. So it's great. Oh, well, we're certainly very glad uh, that you did publish it because it was, yeah, absolutely brilliant. And would you ever Thank write you. a sequel? So that's really interesting. Yeah, I think, so Colvin Bray Hall is like definitely lodged deeply in my brain. My second novel is not, is not a sequel, but it's within the same world of wealth. Um, decadence and sort of the class issues and feminist and also a bit of classics and so there are like hints to Caldenbury Hall in the well you'll see hopefully and then my th it looks like my third will be sli something slightly different but I can't I mean I, I can see myself coming back one day to certainly well I don't want to spoil anything but in the in the epilogue I can definitely see myself coming back to that <laughs> yes yeah um, it feels very final doesn't it but then yeah, again, without spoiling anything, it it doesn't quite. You've left a few threads loose that you could pick at if you wanted. Yeah. To. Um, I think it's about what what happens in your brain, and and, and they're very much like uh, Freddie is very much alive in my brain, and there are aspects of Rose, you know, that I can play with too. So there's there is um yeah, there's loads of potential there. Let's see how that goes. I'd love to write Coldenbury Hall from the perspective of a girl. I'd love to write, um, this is not a spoiler, but I, oh, it kind of is actually, sorry. There's a character in the novel who you, you find out is, a, is an, an old girl. I would love to write her experiences mm. as a girl. That would be really fun, but I can't see that yet on my part. <laughs> that yeah, a kind of prequel, I suppose. Of yeah. time when she was there. Yeah, that would be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to pass back to 
Tom, because uh, we've got lots of questions coming in um, on the Q&A now. Lavinia says, I'd be interested to know what kind of reader you are. Do you always carry a book and try to steal a few pages at any moment? Do you schedule in reading time every day? Is there a particular place you prefer to sit and read? What about audiobooks? Oh, wow, what a great um, question. That's so interesting. Yes, I am I'm a really avid reader. Um, I am particularly guilty of going back and rereading things I love, which is so awful. Um, but I've recently got really good at reading more contemporary stuff. Um, and I've read a lot of the debuts this year, which has been really wonderful. It depends it depends in my where my brain is. So if I'm if I'm in the middle of a writing spell, I can't read a lot because I worry I'm going to steal it. Like if you read The Catcher in the Rye, then you'll just end up writing like Holden Caulfield. <laughs> so I'm quite wary of that. But otherwise, like at the moment, I just finished Clara and the Sun today. Oh my goodness, I actually wept. Um, and then this week I read the, uh, Richard Osman, um, The Thursday Murder Club. So I do read quite fast. And recently, for example, I read, because um, it's the same, not the same genre, but there are interwoven themes. I've, and I've done events with, you know, um, Jennifer St. Ariadne and, and, and The Wolf Den and things like that. So that's been really, really fun to read. I am, I, I will read it, as I say, like if a Jilly Cooper is in the house, I'll pick that up and read it too. So I am a real avid reader. Um, and I also like, as a teacher, I liked to read what my students were reading too, to make sure that everyone was talking about Fifty Shades of Grey. So I made sure that I read it so that I had an opinion rather than just dismissing it. You know, I could talk to the girls, all the boys about it. So yeah, I, I, I scour things, but I am guilty of, you know, I have Rebecca on my, by my bed. Like, I keep going back to it and marveling at it. And yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge reader. Have I, is there anything in the question I haven't answered actually? Do you also listen to audiobooks? Oh, so yeah, no, interesting. I, I actually um, find audiobooks quite strange, quite difficult. I'm not an auditory learner, which I learned as a teacher. Um, I'm, I'm much more visual. However, I'm a huge fan of, um, you know, traumatizations. <laughs> Um, uh, especially like they've done the BBC have done Poirot ones like Agatha Christie and I think they're brilliant I love radio drama I love listening to radio plays that's what I'm saying um, and I love podcasts they often help me if I'm going to do a writing day uh, I'll start off with a with a particular podcast and things like that but that gets my brain going can we ask what you're reading at the moment as well oh so yes I've just finished Clara and the Sun I don't know I don't know what's next, but what happened was I was in England during May and uh, I put it on my Instagram, but every bookshop I went into when I was signing books, I um, I bought a book. So I have a huge stack to get through, but there's a book called The Eighth Girl, which is by Maxine, well, I don't want to pronounce her name wrong, and then Chung, I think. And then she, I really want to read that next. Um, but I've also got Hamnet, which I need to read. I'm way behind. There's plenty. I also really want to read Shoggy Bane, but that... I, I think I might need to be in the right mindset. I keep hearing that it's very, very sad. And then also I've got the Stephen Fry, the the three books he's written on Tro heroes, myths, I think, and then Troy. So um, I'm looking forward to to getting into that. There's so many. It's actually intimidating when I look at it, when I think about it. Yeah. But, um, but in terms of Clara and the Sun, I, I, I'm, he's one of, I mean, I would love to, actually, I can't, I can't really say that Kazuo Ishiguro is one of my main influences because I don't write at all like him, but I wish I did. I think that man is a genius and I can't, I can't, um, The Remains of the Day is one of my favourite novels and Never Let Me Go. And, and then with Clara and the Sun, he's done it again. This kind of very quiet, heartbreaking, very simple prose, so thought, so heartfelt. He's just, I think he's a genius. I can't believe he's still alive. I can't believe, I hope I get to meet him one day. I, I just think he's amazing. I would, I would drink the next book he writes. <laughs> 
Yes, yeah, I feel uh, I feel very similarly about Margaret Atwood. You know, when there are certain authors that you think I'm so lucky to yes. be alive at the same person at the same time as this person. <laughs> she tweets as well. Like when she tweets, I'm like, what are you saying now? <laughs> yeah. I, there were something about um, your writing did remind me actually of it. It, uh, it reminded me of Margaret Atwood, and there was. Um, style as well. I saw a video by Margaret Atwood where she was talking about how when she writes a novel she um, she looks at the, the kind of time period that the novel is set in and then she plots key things that happened in the world oh. through that kind of timeline and then she plots kind of where her characters were and how those things affected them. Um, yeah. Very very similarly when you were talking about using kind of key things and, and key attitudes from the 90s. I remember feeling that same sort of vibe from your book. Yeah. Um, it's a, a similar kind of concept, but yeah, I thought that was really interesting, sort of plotting. Well, yeah, I think also one thing I love that she says is everything she's written, no matter how shocking it is, it's happened somewhere on the earth, like mm -hmm. it's happened somewhere in the world. And I love that too, because it's less sci-fi and more existential, if you like. And I think she's not afraid She's not afraid to write dark things. And a lot of people ask me that, why do you write such dark things? And I think it's important that kind of challenge, she's not afraid of that challenge, to, to challenge the reader, to challenge all of us really, to um, look at things in a different way. I mean, there's, there's something terrifying, but also very important and thought provoking about sort of challenging someone in that way, isn't there? Because I remember thinking, uh, reading Madam, I, for some reason, just felt really particularly upset by the one of the punishments for the girls, which is to shave all their hair off. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. It's, there's something really upsetting about that, isn't there? It, I, I suppose the kind of, I don't know, claiming of a part of your body that should be yours and yeah, absolutely, yeah. From you, it's it's horrifying, really, isn't it? And there's yeah, I think I think you're right. Even if there's even if something is a little bit upsetting or particularly dark, it's very important to to challenge people in that way, isn't it? Yeah, because I mean that I think that that, that has happened, hasn't it? There's a punishment to women shaving has happened plenty of times in sort of the Catholic Church, and I think it's also happened in um, didn't it happen in I think it happened in France after if women had after the Second World War, if women had had an affair or had any kind of connection to the occupying Nazis, they would shave their head. Um, it's such an interesting, such a problematic thing, isn't it? Our the way we are, the way we look, and I think yeah, absolutely, and I think. Madam was designed like that and it's um it's a funny sort of monster of a kind of it's a monster river kind of book and it mm. uh, it's upsetting it upsets me sometimes oh. I reread it and I think who wrote this you know um <laughs> yeah I suppose um while we're sort of on that theme of um sort of yeah sexism and patriarchy and um yeah. unfair treatment of women can you recommend any other books that follow similar themes to your own novels that people might enjoy if people enjoyed madam can you recommend something that, that other than the handmaid's tale uh, and the secret history but <laughs> yeah i think they, they obviously fit really nicely into it i think for me it's it's, it's been a little I, I i read a lot of non-fiction i think in fact i have some great friends who have read madam and said hang on what's going on here are you okay you know um let's talk about this and i said here i'll lend you this i read a great book on a uh, she's a journalist I think and an activist her name is Soraya Chemerly and it's about it's called Rage Becomes Her that's a great non-fiction book about you know female rage and I think as I say Mary Beard Women in Power um, was really important but also you know I, I reread um, Emmeline Pankhurst um, her, her, her writing about the suffragettes and then 
you know, The Feminine Mystique and things like that by Betty Friedan. I've, re I've read all of the, I'm a big fan of the first and second wave of feminism. And I, and I, I would really recommend that stuff because those are the ideas. Those are the kind of germ, germs of ideas. And what's fascinating to me is that I also really recommend, you know, reading Greek myth and reading Medea the play or read Antigone the play because I think what fascinates me I started learning classics when I was 10 I was very lucky but but it always bothered me that it was all, writ all written by men all these plays and all these stories are written by men and so what I ended up doing without realizing it was finding bits that I related to that I understood and I understood Antigone and I understood Medea and I understood these stories and just you know I was felt sorry for Medusa and what happened to her and so I sort of collected them without realizing it and I think what I now realize, and when I was writing Madam, I was realizing it as I went, is that we're the same. We haven't really changed. As I say, young women are still in danger. Um, and, I, and I think if you're interested in feminism and you're interested in story, I think go far back as you can. That's why, I, you know, I go to Emmeline Pankhurst. That's why, I mean, that's only 120 years. But if you, you go further back and you will understand these women um, who, who managed to speak even with male voices. But then, for example, Agrippina, if you remember in the novel, she's actually a real Roman. That's why I played with myth mythology and history. She was a real Roman. She was Nero's mother. And even though she had no power whatsoever, she managed to get her husband, her, she managed to seduce her uncle, have him marry her, and then put her son on the throne as emperor. And then he, he tried to get rid of her many times, and then he finally succeeded. But her, she managed to have that voice, even with all of those societal issues that were pushing her down and I think I think if you enjoyed Madam I think uh, I would say go and go and read the stuff that it came from mm. I d does that make sense yes yeah um, and then also come to your own conclusions because there's plenty that Rose might be wrong you know the girls might be wrong um it's emotionally violent Madam and uh, you know there's other there's other you know issues within that so it's more about you know, as I say, go fall back. Yeah, I'm repeating myself now. Yeah. I do think the, the inclusion of the, the Greek myths as well, yeah. the Greek and Roman myths and legends was, was really, really interesting. It's one of the things that, um, that made the book feel really special was um, just oh, for anyone in the audience who, who maybe hasn't read the book yet. At the beginning of, the, of each chapter, there's a, a little story about sort of a Greek or Roman goddess. And there are yeah. Stories that you perhaps didn't necessarily know. So I did not know Medusa's story, and I feel yeah. awful now that I didn't because she's painted as this kind of terrible, you know, gorgon monster, and that she's absolutely awful. And actually, she was just she was completely a victim, and she was you know punished for being the victim of sexual violence. And it's just not. Um, I really enjoyed the the kind of incorporation of those stories. It's it's wonderful because it's a universal thing. Because I I I found these women, as I say, I mean they exist and. But then I shared them with my classes whenever I had them and, and the girls and the boys as well. But I did teach in an all girls school, for example, at one point, they loved it too. So it's, it wasn't something that I knew that it wasn't just me and people love Greek myth. And um, so it was, it was, it was great to, but, but for example, Medea uh, is known for killing her children. Um, but I've had, I've had real arguments with sixth formers about that because I, I, I feel sorry for her and then other, and Rose feels sorry for her. Um, but you know, my students, would disagree and many classes would disagree with me too so it's fun to have those kind of I feel like when you look at those stories because those you know they that's the birth of western civilization um ancient Greece ancient Egypt you're getting down to basics there you're getting down to some really exciting stuff so it's fun to that's what I mean when I say you know I picked up the Stephen Fry because I'd love to see how he's rewritten some of these stories too and how he's interpreted them in, into a in, in a modern way because he's 
obviously a highly intelligent and educated man so it's fun and it is it, it was fun as a, as a young female to teach that stuff too because then I had my own biased opinion and I was like well hang on this is another side of it so let's talk about that. I will pass back to Tom because we've had a couple more questions coming in from the audience. This one's from Anna. The reveal of the truth behind Calden Bray and what lies behind it all takes us on such an incredible journey. I couldn't put the book down. How did you come up with that concept? I guess it's up to you about spoilers in answering this question. <laughs> Fine. I think, um, thank you for saying that. Yeah, for me, uh, the second half of the novel after the discovery just is like a, a rock rolling down a hill. Just gets worse and worse um, and heavier and heavier and great. I, I love all that. But um, I think um, because it was a gothic novel, I wanted to follow the pattern of the, the a male energy. It doesn't have to be a person. You know, in, in Jane Eyre, it's, Mr. Rochester, but it's also his past, and um, that's the problem. Um, and I thought, well, let's not have a let's not have the headmaster be the problem. Let's have an energy, the school system, be the problem. So you know, I had to battle that through in my mind, and I was like, well, what's the worst thing sort of that you can think of? And and also, uh, what appealed to me as well is that could it be a metaphor? Um, I had a, a a reader contact me on Instagram recently, and she was like. It frightens me how much Colin Bray Hall reminds me of my school. And she said, but we weren't, you know, in that system, within that system. And I said, well, actually, me, me too, maybe we were. We just, without that, maybe we were sort of trained to be this or that or polite society. You know, maybe it's just a, a stronger version of something that's actually real and true. And I was, I'm really interested in that, in how women, I mean, I was just reading an article recently, how there's a school, I'm not sure where it is. It just came out yesterday. Um, it, it, the children now have to smile, make sure that they smile and make sure that they uh, look a certain way. And you know, there's all this stuff coming out now about, you know, girls wearing, uh, they're allowed to wear trousers. And it's like, oh my goodness, it's 2021, you know? So of course they should be allowed to wear trousers. So it's like, it's a, it's a funny thing that, uh, it, it, it almost seemed obvious to me to, to use, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. You may not feel you can answer this, but what was the strangest rule in any way you've worked? It was like kind of, it was presented as tradition, but actually, um, quite bizarre when you think of it in isolation. I think I have a thing about touch and there's actually a, a, a kind of motif of touch in, in Madam where everyone was always touching Rose and she doesn't like it. And at the very end she has, she gives her arm out to a certain person voluntarily. I, I, I have been in really weird situations where at one school there was a kind of a handshaking tradition where everybody would, would shake the hands of, of someone. But I was in another school as well where on Valentine's Day, a sixth former uh, you could pay 50p and have a sixth former give you a hug to the younger students who fancy the sixth former. Um, but then they used to do it for the teachers too. So um, being a young female and all the teachers were over 50, I would always be hugged by the sixth form boys and that always made me feel really uncomfortable. So I think I think there's a, there's a lot of that stuff that, that sort of stays with you a bit where you think that's not quite right. But but for me as well, I, I played with that in Madam a little bit with the blazer thing. I, I, was, a, I was really bad at, um, when I was a teacher at reinforcing like do your tie up, tuck in your shirt, wear your, your kind of uniform etiquette. Because for me, I'm just grateful that the kids are there and that they're sort of turned up and that they're willing to learn. So I'd say, I, I would say I'm probably, I'm quite a liberal person. So anything that was slightly strange to me went straight into my brain um, and would be twisted into something else <laughs> to play with, yeah. Sophie has asked, Rose really cares for her students. Does this reflect your own teaching experience? Do you think you'll ever go back to teaching? Also, would you consider writing a book aimed at a younger audience? Yeah, I think um, Rose is, is uh, she's, she's very sweet. She's very naive. She's a little bit softer than I am. I definitely have 
had great experiences with my students. I've been really lucky. I'm still friends with a lot of them. Well, my mentor. Would I go back? I would love to, but my favorite parts are the bits that are in the book, you know, like discussing with classes about moments in literature and things about characters. I not a mass I mean I think teachers are incredible especially during COVID I've been I have most of my friends are teachers so I'm hugely admiring of everything they've had they've had to go through and then not a lot of support either from up high so I think I would do but the trouble is is that actually classroom is like 30 percent of the job really it's a lot of parent emails and teacher emails and a lot of paperwork and stuff like that so I don't miss any of that and then what was the last bit of the question would you consider writing a book aimed at a younger audience oh yeah um absolutely yes i have to unfortunately i i i feel like i suffer from some terrible brain condition where i can only really write what i really want to write i can't force myself to write something that doesn't come naturally organically um so i'll never say never but i think i think for example if i were to look at a prequel or writing something from a girl's perspective it would be more young adult certainly than than anything else and i do but I'm very, I really admire that genre because that's quite a very specific, isn't it, young adult? Um, and they know what they're doing, so I'd have to do my research properly. <laughs> but, but yeah, absolutely, I'd be open to that. Yeah, and young adult novels can be very dark as well, can't they? They, yeah. they can address some really, um, really quite difficult topics sometimes. Yeah. And I think they're really, in, I think they're really intelligent. You know, even yeah. even younger. You know, when I read Roald Dahl, because I, I, I have a lot of nephews. I, Read, read, read to them, I think, God, this is genius. You know, I, it's amazing that stuff, isn't it? Some of, sometimes I think it's harder than writing adult fiction, maybe, yeah. And uh, so you, you mentioned earlier that, that obviously you're a, you're a classicist, so a lot of the kind of um, the, the Greek myth kind of elements of the story would have come very naturally to you anyway. But in terms of kind of any other research that you, you did for the book, how would you generally sort of go about your research? Are you kind of a fan of doing things online would you use a library um, oh yeah um i'm a huge fan of libraries i think i much prefer to hold a book rather than i have a kindle but um i'm also as i say like a visual learner so i'm a big fan of magazines and things like that and like looking through i'm also a massive fan of going to places so when i realized i was going to set madam in scotland i actually went i picked a place because i needed a beach and a cliff um, so it was quite specific what I needed. And I picked a spot uh, called um, Dunottar Castle in Scotland. I went there for a week and I went to the local town and I spoke to the barman and he's in the novel <laughs> and spoke to as many people as I could. And I was like, what would you feel if there was an English boarding school here? And uh, that was fun. So I'm a, I'm a massive researcher. I, uh, I take photos of everything. I, I, have, I make vision boards and I put them around me while I'm writing. I make playlists. I, I, I'm a very intense writer in that way so I have I feel like I have to enter it and um I always say that you know Matisse you know the artist he said that something I'm going to butcher his his saying but it's something about um it's like a form of prayer when he's painting or doing his artwork and for me it's the same too I have to go into this to really feel it yeah absolutely I'm a, a big researcher and a big fan of libraries there's a great a library in Brighton which I use a lot the one in the in the north lane not sure what it's called actually. Uh, is that the Jubilee Library? Yeah, that one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Jubilee. Yeah, it's beautiful. That's such a, an amazing image, kind of standing on the, the beach in Scotland. Um, yeah. Sort of wind coming in. And could you kind of visualise the story while you were sort of stood there? Did the story kind of... Oh, definitely. I went with a friend and she was like, you're so intense. I was like, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I took some stones from the beach and when I was writing, I had them around me. 
I made videos of the tide coming in. I went different times of the day, took photos. And absolutely, very intense. Loved all the rain. And um, I was like, what flowers are here? Oh, it's a gorse bush, write that down. Yeah, <laughs> no, I love that. And they, they actually had a, a tunnel that went down to the beach, which I used. And... Oh, oh, wow, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured that was an added thing, but that's amazing. Mm. No, no, yeah, the stuff in there about um, William Wallace and I think, was it... Um, Mary Queen of Scots, that's all true for, for Donato Castle, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, just such a fabulous gothic image, isn't it? It makes me think of, I don't know, it's got a, a Wuthering Heights feel to it, only with, yeah. instead of moors. It's oh, kind of it's funny you say that, because actually, um, that's another thing, sorry, I went on my way down, uh, back to Sussex, I, I went to Yorkshire, and mm -hmm. I went to where the Bronte sisters lived, um, which was amazing, yeah. and I'm a huge, Charlotte's my favourite, although, of course, I love um, Emily and Anne, equally but um i just love jane eyre i think it's incredible um and it was wonderful to go on the moors and go to their parsonage i'm i'm a huge fan of that and you know not too far from from you guys you've got virginia wolf's house monk's house um i went there and i sort of asked permission and that sounds a bit crazy and i went to dorset as well when i was doing edits on madam to see thomas hardy's childhood home and then his adult home um because i'm a, a big fan of tess the d'urbervilles and judith's growing love far I've talked far from the Madding crowd, actually. So I like to sort of go to those places and ask permission, really. And that's part of my research. I'm like, guys, can I do this? Like, I don't know. I just, I think they're all geniuses and I worship those writers. So that was really fun. Yeah, I, um, I've also done the, uh, the Bronte, I suppose, museum, but that doesn't feel like the right word for it, does it? But yeah, and it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? You can go into their actual house and here's... Here's the sofa where Charlotte Bronte died. And yeah, yeah. And, they've got <laughs> and then you can see the sewing, I think, that she did. And then there's also like a lock of hair, her sister's hair. And I'm like, and in France too, because uh, I used to teach in Paris, they've got, you know, Victor Hugo, who wrote, you know, Les Miserables and everything. You can go visit his apartment and you can touch the papers that he wrote on. And I love that stuff. I think that's amazing. We're so lucky. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's a um, there's a very interesting exhibition at the British Library as well. I, I assume it's still there. It was there a couple of years ago. I think it's a permanent thing where they've got like Jane Austen's writing desk, for example. And um, amazing. Yeah. there's something um, just amazing, isn't there, about sort of seeing the places and the real things that people used and yeah, manu old manuscripts. And yeah, it's oh, just fascinating. I think um, it's fascinating, yeah. Yeah, in our last couple of minutes. I feel like I should ask you possibly the, the most difficult question that a book lover can ever be asked, which is, what is your favourite book? I, I don't know whether I can answer that. <laughs> but it would be, it changes, it changes. Hmm. Um, I would have said The Catcher in the Rye, but then I recently reread it. And it's funny, when you're 16, he's, he's so wise and clever, but now I see him as a troubled teenager that I used to teach. Books change, but I... I I suppose right now I'm going to say, I'll say Rebecca, because it, it just, the tension, I think she's, she's so clever. I would love to wake her up and say, what did you mean? Because I'm, I'm so interested in whether she actually likes the narrator or not, who has no name, and whether, is Rebecca really the hero of this story? Does she actually think Rebecca's a queen? I'd love to know, because of that dreary ending where they end up exiled from England. I'm like, yeah, you, you do love Rebecca, right? Um, it's the same with my cousin Rachel. You think, is he a is he a, is she a goodie or a baddie? Because you don't know, because the narrator is the young man. And I love that about Daphne du Maurier. I think, you know, she wrote The Birds, um, which has a very catastrophic ending, not like the, the, the film at all. 
And I just think she's got this darkness in her. And I think, I just think Rebecca's so clever. I just, I love it. So right now that's my answer. <laughs> no, thank you very much. We've got two minutes. I think we've got time for one more question. Um, if you're happy to answer one more. Of course, um, yeah. Which is, um, I think a really nice one to end on would be, um, what advice would you offer to any aspiring writers or anyone who is hoping to get published? Oh, that's a really great question. And I think, I mean, the only thing I can say is go to a writing class, try and find one if you can, that you can afford, that um, has different kind of people in. Because what's important is, I think we all think, I certainly did think that everything I wrote was great. I think we've all got some wonderful wish to express ourselves, but also some elevated understanding of, of what we actually produce. So to learn how to receive feedback, is really important. It's very difficult to learn how to get feedback and how to change and how to adapt your writing and how to get better at writing because it's it's something that you have to learn. In my opinion, like like learning a violin, you can't just pick up a violin and play it. You need to learn a little bit of fingerings and then have a go and then see how it goes. Um, so that would be my advice. And also just don't give up. As I say, Madden is my third novel and the first two will never ever see the light of day because they are dreadful. But it took me a really long time to work that out, you know? Um, and as I say, I'm 35, so when I was 23, um, I, would, I was, you know, devastated and um, being rejected all over the place. So I think just persevere, keep learning, um, keep paying attention and also be aware of um, inspiration around you, you know. One of my influences as well for Madam is a film called Picnic at Hanging Rock, which I re-watched and I thought, ooh, and then, you know, as I say, Handmaid's Tale, you think, ooh, and then this. So just be open to creativity, be open to inspiration. And um, yeah, as I say, just keep your mind as open as possible. Keep trying. Oh, that's such a lovely kind of positive note to end on. We hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Phoebe Wynn. If you enjoyed this chat, you can make sure that you don't miss out on future episodes by subscribing to Lend Us Your Ears. Happy reading. We'd like to say thank you to Phoebe Wynn, Kersey Franks and Tom Batten. I'm Sam White and the music was Happy Clappy Ukulele by Shane Ivers at silvermansounds.com.